And we're off. Back at it again one night in Pinehurst. Uh, this is a special holiday week um, edition that we have here. You know, holidays about the family, talking to, to you know, brothers, brother-in-laws, sisters, whoever it might be, cousins. So uh, Maddie and I put our heads together and we thought, what should we do with this week? And we wanted to to bring in some family members to to talk to. So I'm excited. Um, we've got Jeremy Gibson, uh, my one of my three older brothers, uh, who is the athletic director at Merrimack College. Um, so we'll get to Jeremy in a second. Maddie, this is a fun weekend. Yeah, this is a holiday. It's a, the holiday snuck up again. I feel like that always happens to sales guys. So there's no getting around it. But uh, Christmas falling on the day that it falls on kind of is making this entire end of the year with New Year's too, like just a little bit different than if it if it shows up in the middle of the week so it's kind of a we're just we're just wading through i feel like we're just figuring it out and i know this isn't our traditional sports segment here uh that comes later in the week but i couldn't pull my eyes off any of the nfl this weekend um i'm i'm you know i if anyone listened to the world cup preview i don't know what i'm talking about or what i'm watching oh did Um, we get any of that right (laughs) <laughs> who's vet, who's vetting these things? Who's going back? I don't know. But uh, but any games that stood out? Any um, laterals? Anything that anybody? Well, some lateral moves. Actually, you know what? So I look at it like um, the Patriots did the whole world a favor because them sneaking into the playoffs just to establish the run fifty times straight and lose and only score three points. It's, nobody needs that, right? So it was a win for America, um, but a loss for the Patriots. Ironically. Um, yeah, the first three games in the in the first window that went to OT was like the first time in like a long, long time that three games in that one o'clock window have all gone to overtime. I think I, I heard that from our boy, our boy Hanson. Um, yeah, so it was pretty wild. It was a wild Sunday. Um, well, I got Saturday, up. You had the Vikings, and you know, oh yeah, come back. Um, so yeah, that was, was a wild, wild couple of days of football. It's happening. Good stuff. Well, I don't want to keep Jeremy waiting too long he's he's been itching for his first question so (laughs) (laughs) bottom of a softball merry christmas jeremy merry Um, christmas it's great to see you you too um so you know i was kind of thinking this is this is odd to interview your brother who you've known your entire life um but one thing that stood out when i was trying to think of questions throughout the day and uh when i asked you to come on was I've I've known you've always been in collegiate athletics for the most part in your career. I know there was a brief stint as uh, New Britain Rockcats, but how did you kind of, was there a moment that you realized I want to be in athletics? I want to be in academia um, to an extent too. So I, I don't know that there was a moment where I decided that was what I wanted to do. There was definitely a moment where I decided that what I was doing wasn't what I wanted to do. So uh I graduated from college with a degree in psychology and absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, And so I spent my first four months out of school working for a family business, Chase and Sons Tangible, which was still being run out of the basement of our grandfather's house in Watertown. I would I would wake up in the morning. I was living in a separate apartment in Watertown. I would drive over to my grandfather's house and spend the day. God bless them all with with grandpa. Uncle Steve and Aunt Jen, right? Because that was the company at the time. Right. And I love them all. But as a, a 22-year-old guy, you know, that's not necessarily 
um, where you want to be spending every day. And God knows what radon I was absorbing in that day <laughs> at that point. Um, and so I called a family friend, actually the older sister of a kid I was friends with growing up in Andover, um, who was the assistant athletic director at Harvard at the time. And I asked her, similar to what you're starting to get into, how did you get into this? You know, what's this all about? And, you know, just dumb luck, her intern had literally just resigned. And she said, I need someone immediately. We're hosting the NCAA women's soccer tournament tomorrow morning. It was going to snow. This was November. And so I showed up at Harvard at like four o'clock in the morning and started shoveling snow off the grass on the soccer field. Um, and that was how I got started in athletics, right? And, and um, spent the remainder of that academic year. So it was about another, what, seven, eight months interning. Um, but at the same time, I got to know, I made some other connections and I became sure. friendly with a guy, Steve August, who at the time was the, the director of baseball operations for the Red Sox. Mm. And he started talking to me about doing some work for him. But then I met, just by chance, Dan Duquette was the general manager of the Red yep. Sox at the time. And he used to work out early in the morning at Harvard. And I literally I went across the hallway and there's this guy bumping down the stairs. He's got rollerblades on and he's bumping down the stairs on his butt from the, the locker room upstairs. And it's Dan Duquette at five o'clock in the morning. And so we started talking and, and you know, I played baseball at a NESCAC school. He was a, a NESCAC baseball guy. And Steve August, the guy I'd been talking with, was direct report of, of uh, Dan. So I got invited to do an internship with the Red Sox. So I was kind of overlapping with the two. They placed me with, with the New Britain team. But it turned out that what you do in minor league baseball a lot is sell advertising. And so yeah, right. I came full circle in a short amount of time. But the woman who had hired me at Harvard resigned. And so her position was open and I got a phone call and I ended up, you know, after spending about a year in minor league baseball, going back up to Harvard and spent 17 years there and then came over to Merrimack about 10 years ago. So, um, yeah, I think more just timing and dumb luck than anything else getting into athletics. I was going to say, so I love these stories. I'm a sucker for these specifically in sports because I started my career there as well. And I've romanticized it like just like you just described it. Like I'm going to just get in somewhere, meet the right person, work hard, catch a break, take advantage, right? It's these things. But yeah. it seems like you did it multiple times, which is hard. And it shows like, you know, stick to and obviously that determination. So somewhere along the way, I imagine you were like, this is a cool little world to be in. And I know that when I worked in sports, there was a small period of time where I uh, deluded myself into thinking that I could be an AD someday. And I was yeah. like, I'll just apply for these jobs and they'll definitely let me in at BC. And then next thing I know, I'll be running the show. And I realized like, I realized this from sports as well. There's just so many hurdles you have to continually jump over to get to a point where you feel like you've gotten to that point. Yeah. So and I think it, it's cool. kind of an, it's an incestuous business in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right? And, and so a lot of what we do, it isn't rocket science but it's a lot of relationships. And so I Communication. think where I got started was in through some relationships and, and how I advanced was through a lot of other relationships and, and skills that pop up along the way that, yep. that don't necessarily, um, you don't see them as necessarily translating into the athletic world. But the, the first and the primary thing I did with the Red Sox, so I was a, a math geek, right? Yep. And just kind of did a lot with numbers. And so really, even before the sabermetrics came into play, my first task, it was the year I was with the Red Sox was Roger Clemens's last year pitching mm -hmm. with them. So they were going through the process of figuring out if they were going to make an offer to resign them. And so even before we had like Excel spreadsheets, I had this massive piece of paper that was just doing 
kind of a statistical analysis on predicting how Roger Clemens as a large 34-year-old pitcher was going to translate further in his career and coming up with comps. And there weren't many, right? It was Nolan Ryan, it was Tom Seaver, and actually Jose Rijo was pitcher for the yep. Reds at the time. Um, and, you know, it, what it what it what what the numbers said at that time was, yeah, he might have a couple more good years, but certainly no one anticipated him pitching as well as he did into his 40s. And a lot of questions as to why he might have pitched that well later <laughs> yeah. into his career. Yeah, but um, yeah, so I think one of the skills was that helped me kind of advance in athletics and and be seen as someone who could do some stuff was just that I was pretty good with math more than yeah. anything else. Um, yeah. So you just never know. Yeah. And the soft skills, right? You have to you learn how to communicate. You learn how to network. You learn how to deal in that currency of I'll do you this favor, you do me this favor, and you continually sort of like make your way up. I don't know. Do you know the name Andy Andrus, BU professor who's big into sabermetrics? I I do. Yeah, I don't know. I do know the name. So just to tie a weird little bow in this, one of my roles post leaving Pearson, where I met Gibby, and we started working together was at um, Harvard and MIT had a joint collaboration called edX for online learning. And my school, one of my schools was BU. And I met with Andy because he was running a sabermetrics class and he was putting it on this um, platform so everybody could take it. And so I got to meet him a little bit and I learned a little bit more about where sabermetrics got started. So yeah, yeah. small world there. Yeah. I didn't have a question. That was just an anecdote. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> so Jeremy, are you responsible for Roger Clemens leaving Boston? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 I actually still have some of the, the documents from back there, and I've gone back and looked at it. And I think what I put forth was just the math associated with it, right? right. And, and a pathway that, look, there have been some tremendously successful pitchers later in their career who who had similar earlier careers to Clemens. But, um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't claim responsibility one way or another. <laughs> Uh, that's fine yeah (laughs) Yeah, jeremy was responsible though for me believing for 10 years that uh roger clemens wrote a note to me uh, back in i want to say 1991 so i I don't know if other people did this but in that era i was trying to get like you know our our baseball card signed and right they were basically santa claus for you at that point yeah (laughs) and so i got this letter in the mail and i'm hyperventilating i'm 11 years old and it's like (laughs) Roger Clemens and I ran up to my room. I saw it. It's like the rocket. Phil playing tears getting bat like 375 this year, you know, wait, <laughs> while crouched it? eternally. <laughs> Did no, you have you had the poster? Well, that was probably born of the guilt of an older brother who was long gone by the time <laughs> yeah. you were still growing up at that point. Um We'll throw yeah. give you a bone. And looking back, I remember that that note being in your room for a long time afterwards. I really didn't do a good job of masking my penmanship in it. Oh, but I, I don't think I found out until I was like 18. And was oh, like, perfect. Perfect. Um, but I remember dad being like, just calm down because he he knew what was going on. But um but now, come so- full circle. I do have one thing that I'm not gonna give you though. So I didn't do an awful <laughs> lot of like hunting down the players with autographs and stuff like that. Yeah. I did I did bother visiting players sometimes. So I, I did get some cool stuff from like Cal Ripken Jr. and Ken Griffey Jr. and some other people. But I have the when we realized that Clemens wasn't going to be re-signed, I actually part of what I did for the Red Sox was I was the radar gun guy during mm-hmm. during the games. And nothing was automated at that point. So I would I would shoot the times on it and jot down the the pitch that they threw, location, speed, everything else. So I still have the original pitching chart from Clemens's last game as a Red Sox at Fenway. That's and cool. he's like that. And so that's one of the cool pieces of memorabilia. So sorry, Mike, you don't have No, hang on to that one. Hang on. I've got a pretty cool one. 
That's yeah. okay. No, pass that <laughs> to, to your kids. No, I, you know what? I appreciate the story that I can tell on that. Yeah. More <laughs> he already basically. That's what I had in mind when I did it. No, I think it was great. I, 40 something uh, Mike telling the story of how he was conned by his brother. That was good. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was a safe one to share with the world. Uh, <laughs> but you uh, asked and you got the answer. So, um, a lot going on in the NCAA right now. There's yeah. conference realignment um, or, you know, alignment. Geography out the window at this yeah. point. Um, the game image likeness. I'd love to get some of your thoughts. What's yeah? What's well, well, I think the biggest thing right now is um, Charlie Baker, right? And so mm-hmm. yeah. coming out and naming Charlie Baker as its new president last week, and it'll be interesting. We're going to be down at the the convention in San Antonio in just a few weeks. Um, but I thought Governor Baker was actually a pretty uh, out of left field and bold choice for yeah. that. Yeah, um, you know, obviously very popular as a, the governor of Massachusetts, but. You know, I think the biggest thing right now that that faces the NCA going forward is the antitrust legislation legislation. Um, and, you know, this this all the 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 ways the NCA has run historically that have imposed limits that that congressmen and women on both sides of the aisle have put forth um, and saying that the NCA shouldn't have the antitrust exemption. Right. And that would place it formally in a position where you know, student athletes being considered employees of the institution and all the limits coming off in terms of scholarship limits and coaching limits and just all these different things. And and so I think the the biggest piece is the political side of it and trying to navigate Congress and figure out what what could come of this antitrust legislation. And I think most people in college athletics actually don't think it's going to end up happening, right? I think at Mm -hmm. some point down the road, it's going to evolve into something where these these limits come off and you do in some way see uh, student athletes considered some form of employees of the institution, um, which I actually think is, is too bad. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of other pieces that have been unfolding over the last couple of years, the changes in the transfer portal, right? Yep. You can't watch a college basketball game, a college football game. It used to be that someone would step to the free throw line and they'd talk about this kid out of whatever high school in Indiana and everything else. Now they list off three schools that the kids transferred from. Right. right? And, you know, so, so there's a level of free agency. Um, I'm not sure that I'm opposed to the the change in terms of the, the student athlete not having to sit out a year. Yeah, like, I love that. Right. So there, there's a piece of it that, that I think is good. But but at some point, this free agency has to come back under control. Yeah. Um, you know, name, image and likeness. Right. And so you've got some student athletes at the higher profile power five schools that they're making a lot of money off it. I actually, I think it's great. Right. And so the fact that they took the limits and restrictions off of kids being able to profit from, from their own success in a lot of ways, the same way that a talented musician on a college campus could profit from their own success. I think that's fantastic. Um, The collectives that have emerged at different schools make things a lot more complicated in some ways they take away the very important alumni giving that usually happens directly to the institutions. And so some of those are going back to collectives. Um, some of them are not-for-profit organizations. Some of them are for-profit organizations. And, and you know, you, you see some of these collectives that are, are scraping off a 50% overhead on any of the money that they bring in that really is intended to go to these kids, right? So anytime you have this much money on the table, 
there end up being people who are taking advantage of that. And so we're seeing some of that happen. Um, I don't love the enticements for recruiting, yeah. but, but anytime that, that there's that, those big dollar signs out there, there, there's going to be enticements that end up happening. Um, and so it just makes for a lot of unpredictability right now, um, which, which creates a lot of challenges. You, you know, we see it in, on the, the recruiting side of things because of all these transfers that are happening. I think the day that college football opened up the transfer portal this year, within the first hour, a thousand college football players entered the transfer portal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's if you, you think of being a high school student trying to figure out where you're going to go to play, you've got kids who are now getting five years of eligibility, six, seven, actually a kid who just got nine years. Oregon kid. Right. Nine years. He's going to be the yeah. eligible student athlete. Um, you don't know which kids are transferring in and out of different places. And so it just, it, it creates a log jam for kids coming out of high school. And it, it's really complicated the system right now. Um, meanwhile, a lot of other, there's conference realignment that's happening. You know, the power five conferences have all grown, which I yeah. think is, is an indicator of things to come for, conferences like the one that Merrimack College is part of, right? Yeah. So we're a, 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 actually with some of the movement now, we're a nine school conference. The okay. automatic qualifier for sports sits at six. But as you see these big conferences who are now up to 16 schools, the vast majority of the money that comes into the NCAA and then gets distributed to the schools comes through the basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. The Power Five conferences want more of their own schools in that tournament because they'll make more money from it. Right. Yep. Right? And so the way you do that is you change the, the uh, automatic qualifier number. Right. Mm-hmm. And so over time, I wouldn't be surprised to see that number grow to 10, 12, 10. somewhere in that range. And then that creates more conference alignment and potentially merging. Um, and it's just challenging because all the money is really about basketball, but you've got all these other Olympic sports that everyone's sending teams all over the country. And, you know, where, where we sit for Merrimack, you know, we play our conference schedule, but our, our goal has been to play the schools that were, are within like an hour, two hour bus ride because yeah. we have so many, you know, just kind of circling us. We've got UNH and, and Boston College and BU and Northeastern and Harvard and Holy Cross mm-hmm. and a ton of great schools that fortunately going back to the early part and the relationships that you build just from being in this business now coming up on 30 years we all know each other. And so we're all just sending all of our teams to play each other. And it's actually been a great situation. And I think it may be a lot more of what college athletics looks like for a lot of sports going forward. Yeah. Cause they can't all get absorbed into four or five of whatever the PAC 12, big 12, et cetera, ACC look like. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And you said something early on there too, talking very, very early on um, about, NIL and colleges and and players being like employees of the college mm-hmm. and how that's, t- you said it's too bad. I agree. To me, it kind of feels like I have your cake and eat it too. Like, I love that they changed the transfer rule. These kids shouldn't be sitting out a year if they decide, because if there's a, some sort of an extenuating circumstance, the problem is it really is just free agency now. And so there's no way to prepare your team unless you're at one of those massive schools where you're always going to be cycling top talent in and out. I remember back, you know, not even that long ago, if you were a smaller school and you attracted a couple of really big recruits and it propelled your team to a place that it was not before, it meant a lot of things for the university. And now it's like, there's no incentive for those kids to go to like a BC or any of those schools because they'll just go to Duke or UNC. If you're not one of the 10 to 20 big dogs in yep. college athletics, 
you can never stop recruiting your own kids. Yeah. And and so it's this constant process of, you know, the dynamic of making sure they're always having, which you want them to have a great experience regardless. Sure. But, but all of the, the extra steps that you go through in the recruiting process, you can never actually stop. Right. Uh-huh. And, and when you bring in a great freshman, right. And you, 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 your coaches hit the nail on the head and they get a, a diamond in the rough. You almost worry about them playing too well. Yeah. Because they're, they're going to, you know, especially in these non-conference games, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden they have a, a great game against a higher profile team and there's 20 offers on their, their email. Yeah. It's happening in football right now. UNC, Absolutely. their quarterback, Drake May, I think uh, Mac Brown came out today and said, there's incredible amounts of money being thrown at him to get him to transfer before this next season, knowing he's only going to be in college for two years. because He's one of the two best quarterback prospects coming out. So it's- yeah, that's why I always liked it when our transfer quarterback was having a good game. I wouldn't mind if he threw a pick or two every now and then. <laughs> you know, Understandable. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. It's tough. So it's tough. an exciting time, Merrimack athletics right now. Um, there's, there's a team in the top 10. Um, yeah. their respective sport. Um, but we'll, we'll touch on the hockey, on the men's hockey team in a little bit. Any, any other, uh, winter sports that are standing out or, or, you know, where, where some yeah, waves. So I, I think the, going back to the fall, um, you know, our football team ended up going eight and three and they lost the last game of the year, but they, you know, so we're just taking a step back. So Merrimack is in the fourth and final year of reclassifying from division two to division one. We've been exactly. a division one hockey program for a long time now, but the rest of the programs have been elevating. Um, so this is the first year where our conference, the Northeast conference has, has given us eligibility to play in postseason games. Okay. This, we couldn't cool. even play in the conference postseason. Um, but our football team ended up playing in the the conference championship game. We hosted yep. it this year. So to have an eight game or an eight win season kind of this early in the division one tenure was great. Um, yeah. first, first year into division one men's basketball actually won the regular season yep. in our conference. Um, they had a great year. Men's soccer did the same thing this year. Both the men's and women's soccer teams uh, got a buy in the first round of the playoffs and made it to the second. So we've, we've kind of emerged really quickly as one of the top schools in the the Northeast conference. And so I'm really looking forward to next year when we can play in NCAA tournaments um, for the winter, you know, you, you said, we'll, we'll get to the hockey in a second, but um, you know, basketball is always a weird animal because we're, yeah. we're, you know, we're a, a, a single, uh, single bid conference, right? We're the yep. Northeast yep. conference has never had more than one school make it to the tournament. The, the, the NEC tournament champion yep. gets the automatic bid. Um, but basketball, we play the first two months of the season almost completely on the road and it's all non-conference against and, some tough teams too. Right? Some so tough we opened teams. up down at St. John's, right. And we played yeah. Providence in that mix and went out and did a three game tournament out in Montana. Yeah. Um, and Bradley's so we, a good school too. Yeah. So you play a lot of high profile games and we did it this year for, I think seven of the games we were, we were missing our best player, kid Jordan minor. Um, mm. so you know, we, we, I think went two and 10 through that stretch, yep. but we were preseason picked number one in the conference. And so we go into conference play in another battle tested. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see 
kind of what that looks like. But again, that's the world of the money in college athletics because, yep. you know, you come out two and 10, but you've got $350,000 in your pocket for playing some of those games. And it, and it doesn't matter because you're, it's a one bid conference. So all your objective is, is get those kids some experience against tougher competition, win the conference, get the bid, sneak in as a 15, 14 and try to upset somebody. Yeah. And so that's it, great. So that's really kind of the game plan with that. But, um, yeah, but it really, honestly, all eyes for us have been on men's hockey, especially in the last month or so, yeah. for sure. Do you get notified before it, it goes uh, public where you're you're ranked? Um, you know, we we don't. Um, but so the college hockey rankings is a little bit weird. So they, they come out with the rankings every Monday, right? And there's, yep. there's two different ones. There's the, the USA Today and then there's the coaches poll. Um, but frankly, neither of them matter. The yeah. only one that actually matters is uh, this thing called pairwise, right? And that's the mathematical analysis that that basically does um, it, it takes everything from winning percentage, strength of schedule. It looks yep. at common opponents and how you've done it. So it's all those things that come into this mathematical equation, and that is the calculation that's used for determining the NCAA tournament, right? So same thing: conference champions get their automatic qualifier. And then everything else is 100% based on the rankings for the teams in the the pairwise. So, you know, it's exciting when those rankings come out. But the reality is I I just have bookmarked the pairwise, which, you know, while we're ranked whatever we were uh, today, I didn't even see what came out. Um, Five. But we're number five. But, you know, pairwise, we're actually ranked number three in the country. three in the pairwise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's really the one that I think the, the, insiders look at more than anything else just to kind of figure out where you are and the magic number is 10 right because based on the number of automatic qualifiers with 16 teams getting in the tournament if if there are upsets in every conference then you take those those six out and you get the top 10 will automatically essentially make it in to the tournament yeah yeah i always i follow i do follow that i mean i'm i went to umass samhurst so it hockey was like all we really had we had basketball for a little bit i gotta tell you i had a ball out there two weeks ago beating the Minutemen. it was fun oh yeah (laughs) i bet i bet it's it's they're always in the mix i don't know this year i think they're a little were they 12th in pairwise so it's like i think this qualifies as a down year for them but it's I I gotta I always keep making a point to get over to the hockey east tournament and I still haven't got done a good it. Program. I feel like it. Coach Carlos yeah. done a really good job with them and um, yeah he came in and you know obviously to win a national championship but but yeah he runs a really good program. There's all that it's like it's like the SEC. I always tell everybody that doesn't live in this area because I have a lot of friends that are in different parts of the country, Colorado, Minnesota, and the Northeast. That those are your hockey schools. Yeah, and you know throw Wisconsin in and Minnesota and those classic ones. But it's like the NFL. It's like the NCAA football with SEC and all those teams. It's funny that you put it that way. So we with this reclassification with the NCAA, we just had a site visit a couple of months ago, and folks from the NCAA came out. And one of the people they do have an independent group of people come out, and actually one of them was from the University of Denver and was familiar with Merrimack from the the hockey side of things, but. You know, the argument that we've made all along is that, yeah, we're new to Division One and all these other sports, but we've essentially been playing in the SEC of, of college hockey for the last yeah. 25 years. Um, and so we got a pretty good sense of what it takes to be competing yeah. against, you know, like you said, the likes of Boston College and UMass and BU and Northeastern and Denver, St. Cloud State. Like, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's cool. It's really exciting. It's fun. It's a cool yeah. area for that. Yeah. So when you came to Merrimack, like, was there, was there anything that stood out when you're like, oh my gosh, I did not expect this. 
this is my first time as an athletic director. I came from Harvard, um, was a, a different world endowment wise, uh, anything that, that stood out right away that, oh my, this is, this was completely unexpected. Uh, yeah. I think opportunity, there was more than, than I expected to see. Um, so I was, I was really, well, two things, the commute, right. Going down from an hour and a half commuting into Boston to now seven or eight minutes, depending on if the light down by the McDonald's is red or green. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I think it, so when I got to Merrimack in 2013, the school had a little over 2000 undergraduates, no graduate programs. Um, and a president who had just been installed about two years earlier that had a reputation for being really ambitious. Um, mm-hmm. He was the architect for a lot of the growth at Northeastern University several years yeah. before and taking it from, you know, a, a, a very good school into to really one of the, the top larger universities, certainly in the region and, and now with a national reputation. Um, and he had an ambition to grow. Right. And so, um, you know, through construction of new buildings, the addition of new programs, restructuring the whole college more like a university with different schools. Right. Um, you know, the expansion of housing. We've gone from this little kind of liberal arts commuter college reputation to, you know, we're we now bring in a larger freshman class than Providence. Right. Yeah. So so we've got four thousand undergraduates. We've got fifteen hundred graduate students. We've got really strong programs in a variety of different areas. We just added nursing as an academic program. Um, and, and so I just think it's, you know, all the things that I, I saw, I think, as, as opportunities have been fulfilled on an institutional level. And, you know, when I got hired, he talked about how at his inauguration, he announced then we're going division one. Right. And he said, I don't know what that means. I don't know. So you got to go figure out. <laughs> Just do it. To, go do it. How to do that. Right. So then it became a lot of networking with with, uh, you know, old friends and everything else and trying to find a conference that would welcome us in because you can't go until you get invited by a conference. And so we had to take what was when I started kind of an average Division two program. And but we were in a really good Division two conference. And so we built that pretty quickly, got it to be really the top athletic program in that conference. And then that opened enough eyes that we ended up getting the invitation to the NEC. But yeah, you know, I, I think that um, now it's about what's next. Same as we saw opportunity then. Now, in a lot of ways, this division one thing has been about raising the the standing and stature of the school more broadly, right? Yeah. And, and you know, getting our, our name out there more on a national level. Um, and so, you know, we're never going to be stagnant, right? We're going to look at opportunities to figure out, okay, well, what does it look like next, right? We're not going to look at just our current peers. Who are our aspirational peers and what are we trying to, to emulate? But yeah, it's fun. It's been yeah. uh, certainly not without challenges at different points, like any other job, right? But it's, uh, it's actually been a lot of fun to build something. And I would imagine too, and I'm just guessing here, the big conferences congealing will shake loose opportunities for conferences that didn't make it to come together to make super conferences of their own. Right. So like maybe there's some members of the big East and then a couple of other schools from other areas that end up wanting to join into a conference with you all. Like you never know. I think, yeah, um, you know, it, it, there's a trickle down effect for sure. Right. Everyone yeah. talks about power five conferences and the movement that's happened there, but even in our own conference, you know, Bryant just recently went to America East and Mount St. Mary's just yep. back. And there's going to be more of that. That's yep. happening. There's a ton of division two schools that are now looking to elevate you know, Stonehill, who used to be a rival of, of Merrimack's at the Division II level, and it's, what, 60 miles from here, 
Yeah. Um, it actually just joined the NEC. So they're making the elevation, yeah. but it's just going to be, you know, a lot of moving pieces. And and I think for, for schools like Merrimack that, that have a pretty strong history of being opportunistic, you know, part of my job now is just to make sure we're always in a good place, right? Yep. That, that we like our home now. The NEC has been a really good conference to be a part of. I think it creates a pathway for the basketball tournament, which yep. is really yep. critical. And I think any athletic director would tell you that, one of the most important things you can do is have a successful basketball program because yep. the thought with St. Peter's last year, the visibility of having a, a school with springboard, not the full national profile, get on that national stage. Um, you know, the appearance itself is great. Having your name on a billion brackets that people fill out, you can't buy that sort of marketing. Yep. Uh, but then if you can win a game or two, then, you know, that's a game changer. Changes it for a while. Yeah. And I, America East would be a real nice spot. There's a lot of baked in, um, teams and colleges there. Yeah, so I mean, half, the, half of the America East Conference from a multi-sport standpoint are hockey schools, right? So yeah, there are Vermont and Maine. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and they're, they're a conference that uh, about half their schools have football, right? Football yeah. has become an important sport at Merrimack as well. We get huge crowds at homecoming. So we want to make sure that's always in a good place. But, you know, at some point, foot, Division One football in New England is going to evolve. Yeah, because we just got, you know, Bryant, who just joined the America East, they're playing in the Big South for football. Yep. Right. So it's crazy. It's illogical in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Travel wise. Yeah. The budget it takes to to make that travel work when all of the games you play. are. I think that's one of those sports where some some different sorts of even if it's as a single sport conference that just supports football, but one that's based in New England. Um, would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Last hockey question from me. Yeah. Lawler rink, home yeah. rink for Merrimack. Is that, where does that list in the conference in terms of size capacity? Uh, it's one of the smaller ones. I think UConn yeah. still plays. UConn had plans for building another rink on campus. And I think they've changed those plans. And so when they do that, you know, they play a lot of their games downtown in Hartford. Um, yeah, Duncan. But but they're going to do something on campus. It's going to be about the same size as as Lawler. I'll be honest. I, I go around to all the different rinks, obviously, and I like our size, right? So we, it must be and, awesome. Like the energy in there, three thousand people in there. It's loud. It's got a tight roof. The fans yep. are right on top. It's a hard place for teams to play. I mentioned yep. UMass. UMass says the Mullen Center is beautiful, but it's, yeah, it's big. It's, it's what six thousand people. And, you know, we happened to play them at a time where the student, it was right around Thanksgiving. So the students weren't there. They might've had 1500 people there and it just felt empty and and experienced the same thing at at Conti Forum for BC and, you know, the Songus for, for Lowell. They're all, you know, they're bigger. They're very nice arenas, but I would rather play in a packed 3000 seat arena than a half empty 6000 seat arena. Agree. Agree. I was going to ask that because it's just the team feeds off that energy and it's, you know, anybody that's played a sport, you go into somebody else's barn. It's not fun when you're getting yelled at the whole time and you can't focus. So yeah, I was going to say it's a lot of pride in making it not fun for people. Yeah. Yeah. Smartly. So yeah. Yeah. Agree. So yeah. You're heading, you're heading out to Amherst um, to, to take care of the Minutemen. Uh, And you get that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that was a great segue well done <laughs> he's the king he's the king of segways um you need to stop get some gas you're running in um what's what's your go-to and and i'll give you uh, this is the holiday season yeah. wide open playing field you don't need to stick with one yeah so i'll tell you so i can tell you exactly what i did for umass because it was kind of a dreary night and my map told me to take the 
Route Two thing out there instead of going all route the way. Two. Oh, interesting. Two to two to, and it said the two. difference was like forty minutes, and so I'm going to take the forty minutes, but it was it was wrong. Been and there. so I was realizing this is going to be a long night. I'm coming back home, so I just I grabbed a cup of coffee and a nutrageous bar. Right. So oh, nothing, love nothing a nutrageous. And you'll see a common theme. The peanut thing goes through in in different situations, but uh-huh. nutrageous bar. If if you're going to grab something, I've got a those are great. Thing. So that's got that's got a little heft to it for, for uh-huh. a candy bar. Little bite, uh, little bite on it. But uh, for me, a cup of coffee it doesn't matter what time of day or night. That's usually not a wrong choice to make okay. um, in this. But yeah, so that was that was the trip out to to UMass. I like and that. What's on the radio? Uh, so radio, I'm a Spotify guy. I can't tell you the last time I listened <laughs> to the radio at all. So so Spotify, I've got a pretty eclectic uh, mix of things that I've liked over time so i usually just hit the liked songs button and i have yeah, it just shuffle it the whole thing and that'll give me the range from you know willie nelson little guns and roses mixed in there and yep. you know, everything in between um and so that usually does it and then if i want something a little more specific you know it might be the jim croce radio or i actually had oh. the eric church radio going the other day and that kind of stays in that a little bit current current but not too country country Yep. Uh, pop country mix blend. Yeah, it's kind of like a Chris yep. Stapleton sort yep. of thing. Appealing to all. Yeah. Yep. I don't care about all. It's appealing to me. Yeah, that's all that matters <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> I had a little insider info on, um, and I was hoping you would mention Willie Nelson. Um, Uh-oh. If you, if you might be willing to share um, your story of meeting uh Mr. Nelson. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, my first foray into working in the world of, of athletics was actually being a, a second assistant greenskeeper at the Valley Forge Golf Club, which well, it, it doesn't even exist. I think the King of Prussia Mall down in Pennsylvania sits where the, the course used to be, but it was like one of the worst municipal golf courses you could ever imagine. <laughs> but about three miles down the road from that golf course was a place called the Valley Forge Music, Music Fair. And it was one of the last theater in the rounds type places and seated about four or 5,000 people. So it would actually get some really good names that would, would play at it. And so I'm at the golf course. I just finished up. I'm hosing off one of the tractors and I just hear this, excuse me, excuse me, anyone there? And I look around and, and to tell you how bad this, this course was, there were no bathrooms. It was just porta potties out behind the, the Sounds approach. Right. So I go over and I realize someone was calling from the porta potty and I knock on it. It's like, everything okay? And I hear a voice say, you're out of toilet paper. So I went and got toilet paper and I opened the door and handed in the, a roll of toilet paper to Willie Nelson in a porta potty. Was he, uh, was he hot boxing that thing or was it? <laughs> he was, uh, uh, yeah. So Willie, I yeah. guess, is a pretty big golfer. I guess that's one of his no things way. out on the road. He always hits the links. That's crazy. You never judge a book by a cover, right? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. That's an awesome story. I could listen to those types of stories all day. <laughs> They're the best. Um, so last question for me, Jeremy, but uh, in terms of advice that you would give to whether it's one of the students that you work with um, at Merrimack or or someone that's trying to figure out what they want to do in their career um, and think, you know, wants to get into collegiate athletics. Um, what advice would you give to to someone that, you know, looks at the landscape at the athletic department and says, I want to work here. Um, this is what I want my, my. Career. Yeah. You know, I think one is put your ego aside, right? So it's not an easy business and it is one that, um, 
it's a lot of hours. It sounds sexier on the outside sometimes than it is on the inside. Um, and, and be willing to do just about anything. Right. So, you know, I look back at some of the stuff that I got involved in. I would, when I was doing minor league baseball, I would go to the local junior high in the mascot outfit. Yeah. Right. Mike, you know, there was time that where the, the microphone broke and I used to do the, the pregame announcements on the PA because the other guy who actually did it for us had a real job. And so he'd show up. And so I would do it up until he showed up and the, the computer went dead and I had to sing the national anthem in front of the <laughs> crowd. Right. And, but there are times, yeah, even, even maybe that's our, your dream. That's your you know, dream. Our you broke just the other day, like half an hour before the game, we were playing, we were playing UMaine, and, and all of a sudden the shot clock's down and it was a Sunday afternoon at one o'clock. We didn't have an electrician on site. And so, you know, just having kind of grown up, on the operational side of athletics more than anything else. Yeah. I said, I felt like this. I was like, someone get me a screwdriver, get me this. And so just taking the thing apart and rewiring it. And I don't know, 15 minutes before the game, the thing was going again. And I think that, you know, there's the a story that I tell that, you know, I, I just mentioned, I can kind of came up doing operations. A lot of that was event management, game setup, that sort of yeah. thing. Um, but when you're the guy walking around the building, that's, that's carrying a massive set of keys and a walkie talkie, a lot of times people don't pay attention to the fact that you're even there. And, yeah. and so I always made, made a conscious effort to pay attention to what yeah. was going on. What were, what were coaches talking about with teams? What were other people talking about? And just to, just to do nothing with it other than just to kind of log it away as yep. a point of information. Um, and then as, as I advanced a little bit to make sure that I wasn't one of those people that ignored the people who had the big sets of keys and the walkie talkies, yeah. right. um, so, you know, I think there's, there's a humility that I would advise people to yep. have as they're getting into it. You don't need to be a specialist. You don't need to be a sports management major in a lot of ways, you know, athletics, college athletics or pro it's a, it's a business, right? They're yep. going to hire accountants and marketers and salespeople and it, just like every other business does. And so you can specialize in one of those areas, or you can be more of a generalist and, you know, figure out how to navigate your way through it. Um, but I think, uh, similar things that would lead to success in any business, right? Yeah. Ambition, staying after it, but, but a level of humility, um, and not taking yourself too seriously. I think the humility, the awareness you mentioned, just to kind of keep your eyes open for what you can learn and what you can, what you can glean from other conversations, that curiosity, which I think bakes into, but you like the running theme with all of this so far has been, there's no substitute for the work you have with the work in, like, you're just not going to back into it. So and that's where a lot of people just don't have it, right? So it takes that, it takes that. Yeah, working time, right? Me. And so I'm fortunate that, you know, Mike knows, obviously, my wife, Julie, but the hour, it's a lot of hours. And it doesn't yeah. matter at what point in your career. It's a lot of hours when you're just starting out. And yeah, it's yeah. a lot of hours as you get more advanced in your career. And, you know, I woke up Sunday morning and threw on a, you know, a nice set of clothes. She's like, where are you going? I got to go to a brunch and speak at, at whatever. And it's, yeah. And it's great to have someone who says, okay, have yep. fun, right? Yep. As opposed to, you know, why do you have to go? Why, all yeah. the other things yeah. that I'm not doing when I have yep. to do that sort right. of stuff. Yep, that sacrifice that matters. Yeah. Yep, for sure. That's awesome. It's a cool story. Well, Jeremy, thank you. Um, yeah, appreciate yeah, you taking time with us. Uh, and we'd love to have you back sometime. And, yep. and uh, I know I know how to reach you. So, Sounds uh, good. <laughs> Merry Thanks, Christmas. Jeremy. All right, we'll Thanks keep it up. Thanks for listening. Thank right, Great chatting. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you.